podcasting. One, two, three. From the Bristol Herald Courier, I'm Delena Matthews, and this is On the Record. This week on the record, reporter Laura Spell talks to Heidi Davis with Second Harvest Food Bank of Northeast Tennessee, Jennifer Burleson with Bristol, Tennessee City Schools, Pamela Irvine with Feeding America Southwest Virginia, and Kathy Hitz with Bristol, Virginia Public Schools about children in the region struggling with hunger during summer break because of missing meals provided every day during the school year and what they're doing to make sure kids aren't going hungry. Here at the food bank, we do a couple of different programs for children. We have the one that people have heard about quite a bit. It's going to be the backpack program where we're serving bags of food to give to children during the school year. Um, And then during the summer, we run the summer food service program, which is run through the USDA. And for that, we make meals that are then, if we serve them correctly and according to the rules, are reimbursed through the state of Tennessee. So that's one of the ways that we do it. We also do a non-congregate program for families that can't make it to summer meal sites and stay at the sites to eat their meal. We do food boxes for them. Um, and bags sometimes also, it just depends on what we've got going on. But we do a, usually a couple of different methods to be able to get to food to families during the summer. Okay. Um, so the child insecurity rate in Northeast Tennessee, food insecurity rate is higher than the national average. Do you have any thoughts on why that is or, you know, what, you talked about some programs, but, but why that is that it's higher here? Um, some of them are just, some areas are just stubborn. Child food insecurity has gone down quite a bit. Some of that is economic development in some of the counties is a little bit, it's not equal everywhere. So some kids are going to live in areas that are just a little bit more economically disadvantaged. Um, But your cities and places like that, like, let's say Kingsport is around 20% for their kids, which is one in five, which is pretty close to the national average. But they have the most kids that uh, are in danger of food insecurity. So it it just depends. But it's just one of those things. If we keep using the programs, a lot of it is that people don't know the programs that are available for them to use. Some of it is access, where the programs are, aren't easily accessible to families to be able to get to them and use them during the school year or even during the summer. Um, it's just a lot easier for families to be able to get to things when kids are already at school and they're already participating in the free breakfast, free lunch program. During the summer, we don't have that natural place where kids kind of like congregate, where they can bring a whole group of kids together to be able to feed them. So uh, it's more of a strategy of us trying to figure out if they can't get to us, how do we get to them? And, you know, we do the best we can. We work with organizations that are in neighborhoods that have higher concentrations of children that we know are on free or reduced lunch. But um, it's really going to be access is the thing. You know, if a family has to decide between do you use gas to get to work this week or do you use it to get to a summer meal site, they're going to pick going to work. And something new this year are the pop-up sites, right? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't tested one quite yet, but it's something that we're going to be working on. Um, So the idea of a pop-up site is we're going to be going into some parks and then at some, like, special distribution things where we know kids are going to be there. Like, uh, we'll probably test it out at the 
health department checkups where we know kids are gonna be there. One of the things that we've talked to families about is that when they're going in for those checkups kind of thing, I think this is designed to be a little bit faster, but it takes them up to three hours to go through an appointment. So um, we wanna make sure that kids have a meal while they're waiting so they're not hungry with their parents. And it just gives the parents something to do. It gives the kids something to do while they're waiting for that checkup to get done. Are you planning on going into neighborhoods as well, like parks that are near housing developments and, and areas like that? or? Yeah, we're, we're just going to do a couple because uh, the way that the rules work around summer meal sites, it's, it's easy to disallow meals for not to be reimbursed. So we're, we're definitely going to probably try um, the splash pads. We're going to try some of those. We're going to have to like rent out places in the parks. Um, and then we're going to try going to bigger events like backpack, give outs, and things like that where we know kids are going to be waiting in line for a long time. And we're just going to test it out to see how they go and if we can make it something sustainable that's easy to do, quick to do, that our staff can handle and do more of them as we understand how it works and how to do it within the rules. Okay. And there's also a new uh, summer food drive as well, is that correct? Yeah, so one thing we've been very blessed with for the past several summers is that we've gotten really big grants that help us buy food boxes. Food boxes are very expensive. That can be up to $70,000 of our budget. Um, so it's can really... You, can you elaborate on what you mean by food boxes specifically? Sure. Uh, the food boxes that we typically get are going to be our large family food boxes. Um, they're going to have dry shelf-stable items in them. They usually, I try to get ones with cereal. Uh, cereal, canned fruits and vegetables. They'll do some canned meats, some skillet dinners kind of things. Um, but generally, it's just like a, it's a staple box that's going to get a family of four through a several days. Um, we've been buying those each year and um, giving them out to our program because we've had grants coming in to buy them. So... Uh, that's very expensive and you know buying them long term is going to be like a big chunk of our program so uh, we want to look at if we can do food drives and bring in the food from the community to make the same number of boxes that's going to help us be more sustainable and save money on the program that we can use for other things that are important and um, as far as grant funding um, and then individual giving and, and corporate giving is that down right now as well or I think that most nonprofits would tell you that that kind of giving is down everywhere you know everyone's trying to make sure that their bottom lines are okay um, with the tax changes it kind of changed things that we normally would get at the end like in tax time because they're trying to give it away before tax for the tax breaks before it ends um, those tax rules kind of hit us a little bit and we didn't get as much um, I would say we're still doing okay but everywhere it's down, and it's been going down for a couple of years. And um, Rhonda talked to me about the veggie van. That's something that's kind of new. Mm -hmm. um, if you could talk about that, and I know it's easier round, but um, mm -hmm. if it, <clears throat> I'm sure it's it ends up being maybe a little more important during the summer since these kids aren't getting meals at at school. Yeah, so we got that through Feeding America. Um, Enterprise made a donation to Feeding America, and we got part of that donation. Um, we bought the veggie van. We, we needed a smaller vehicle that we could transport cold things in. So we got a smaller van and we put a refrigeration unit on it. 
and um, we it was one of those things it was a, an idea of we can't afford to keep buying food boxes but we still want to give extra food to the families what can we do um, so we knew our produce program where we could buy fresh fruits and vegetables that we could give that and use it anywhere that we wanted to do um, and that the neighborhoods we're going to they don't have a whole lot of access to fresh fruit and vegetables it's not something they're going to spend a lot of money on because they got to think about things that can last for the whole month when they do their shopping. And produce is expensive. Yeah, produce is expensive. So um, the, we started doing the veggie van with that. We're like, we still want to get pounds. We still want to get some food out to these folks outside of the program that the whole family can eat. Mm -hmm. um, so we wrote that grant. We got the van. They gave us some money to buy fruits and vegetables. And we delivered it. And we partnered with other summer programs like the Sullivan County Elementary School, those folks for their summer program, um, where we, we tried to visit those folks too. They're not in our program, but we wanted to make sure that people were getting fresh fruits and vegetables. So we took them to special events like that. And we take them to like the Sullivan County checkups program. Um, to the health do, department. Yeah, they serve like 400 kids or something over four days. Mm -hmm. So we go there and gave out bags of produce to the families that come. Uh, but it's really great. We do like an extra 25,000 pounds of food, something like that. It just depends on where we're going, but also it's just a smaller vehicle that helps us be more versatile. Mm -hmm. So if we have like a ton of milk or we have yogurt or we have anything like that. We could put food boxes on the truck, but we can also fill up the other half of it with extra things that are cold to give out. When we do special like distributions, we want to make sure that folks can get out to them. But Sullivan County is always like a, a tough nut because we have we have six thousand kids that are between the two cities, and then we have six thousand kids that we know are in the county. Um, but they're so spread out; they're not ever grouped enough right. to be able to like get them service. So no matter where we are, people have to travel into us in Sullivan County because it's such a huge county. It's gigantic. Yeah, it's gigantic. So when we did like our our mobile program there, that bus drove over a hundred miles a day. Um, like the mobile libraries that are going out in a lot of the counties now, uh, we were fortunate enough to already be talking to the libraries at that time. So when they're like, hey, we're, we're having these other meetings, and they pulled us into those meetings. So um, we talked a lot of those programs into having food on their bus, too. If you're going out and you're reading, your school system does this program, pack lunches, pack snacks, take food with the books, and all of them have done that so far. So it means that we have like a ton of mobile programs where we didn't, we didn't have any before. So and you started... 2015, is that right? We started, me personally, at the yeah. food bank. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, the mobile programs, I want to say, started in 2016. We, one of them did anyway, and that's when we started having the meetings with folks. Um, and then 2017, a bunch of them started. 2018, um, we saw a huge growth because the governor's wife stepped in to work with uh, our state partner at the top and really focused in on having summer reading programs and how to include summer meals with summer reading programs. So last summer we saw a big boom of them too. Um, and so she measurable. worked with Feeding America? <clears throat> she worked with the Tennessee Department of Human Services. Oh, okay. 
because of like that boom of summer reading programs, working with SFSP programs to serve in the state of Tennessee, we served an extra three million. Um, so I guess if you'll just talk about what the school system offers kids during the summer as far as meals in general. Okay. Um, during the summer, our school system offers meals to any of our school-based programs. We travel to several housing areas. Um, we also provide meals for some of our sports camps. And then we also have a site here at Fairmount Elementary for walk-ins for breakfast and lunch all summer. Okay. Um, and is there any eligibility requirements for it? Or? There's no eligibility requirements. Um, any child under the age of 18 can get a free meal. Now is this a Title I school or is it not? Fairmount is. Is? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess what percentage of kids would you say are considered low income and have trouble, you know, with meals at home? As a system, we stay around 50% free or reduced um, meal status for students. So at any given time, we know that about half of our students um, can face food insecurity issues, and we're just trying to fill the gap with this meal program. Um, and as far as funding, um, is it through USDA or is it? This program is funded through the USDA, the seamless summer option. Um, it's the same reimbursement rate that we receive for lunch and breakfast during the school year. Um, so what do the kids get when they come here to eat? Um, you have a copy of the menu? I don't. Let me get one. Okay. <clears throat> Just one second. And I, you might have had the flyer, I can't tell if that's what you had or not, but here is the, um, the menu. Um, we have breakfast here, and then we take breakfast to some of our schools and Boys and Girls Club, and then we also, this is the lunch menu. We do substitute, you know, based upon need if we have a shortage of something, but this is pretty much the bones of it that we follow okay. through the end of the summer. Um, so when you go, to deliver breakfast to the sites. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about the, I guess the need there, how popular it is? Um, breakfast, we don't take breakfast into the community sites because oh, okay. usually lunch. those children aren't up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, lunch is where we take the majority of meals to. Um, we're supplying breakfast for our school-based programs and boys okay. and girls club, okay. um, just because children are usually asleep at that point. Mm -hmm. It would be, you know, eight or nine o'clock. <laughs> Do you have a list of... Hi there, how are you? Do you have the list of uh, schools and sites that you do take breakfast to? Um, let's see. We've got the off-sites here, and then um, I can write down for you if you want sure. the schools. But this here is just a like a walk-in? 
Fairmount is the only walk-in site that we have, and we consider it like our central kitchen for the mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. and everything comes from the site, and so we can deliver out. Anderson had a program before, so they don't have it. Well, we do. We are having a library program in Anderson. So those are the ones that it's like summer school type mm -hmm. programs? There, there's different programs. Like right now, Anderson just has an open library certain times. And if okay. she needs meals, she <coughs> will call us and we'll take some over. You know, it's, it's just based upon that. Okay. Um, you know, Vance Middle School has a summer school program. Um, so does Tennessee High. Um, Evoca has like a, I think a STEM type program that they have in place for maybe 20 kids. It's, it's not a, a great number. Um, but most of these areas where we're going in the community, we're going that way anyway. So we mm -hmm. try to just make a route where we can meet sure. everyone at one time. And then, um, of course, here at Fairmount, we have Read to Be Ready, which is a fairly large um, grant from the state of Tennessee during the month of June. Um, then we have another STEM group that's here this week. And then we do Boys and Girls Club, YWCA as well. As far as the walk-ins, do you have particular days that are more popular, or is it just... I'm not sure. I'd have to ask. I know when I've been over here in the mornings, it just varies. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, when I when school um, and summer meals first started, I had to run to Holston even morning, and I passed, you know, four or five children on bicycles, and they were headed this way. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on mm -hmm. the day and probably the weather, mm -hmm. you know, rain. We've noticed rain makes a difference in participation. So... Um, you know, and we're okay with that. You know, we just want to provide meals, so we don't have a number that we have to hit every day. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, how long have have you been doing this program here, as far as the walk-ins? This is our third summer, okay. and so we try to begin as soon after school ends um, that we can get everything ready. And this is the first summer that we are covering just about the entire summer. We're going to July 30th, and then our staff returns July 31st. So there's no there's no cleaning gap in there. We try to have a little gap in the past to really give us some time to reset everything, but we're just going. We have a need there, and we're just trying to meet that need. So we're going all the way up until we start back. When is the first day of school? Uh, first day of school isn't until August the. Fifth, I think it's the first half day, mm -hmm. um, but we have that prior week to get our orders in, get right. everything ready, and um, that kind of thing. Training, we always do training every year before school starts. Um, do you keep track of the number of children that come in? Mm -hmm. we, I asked this morning when I came in, um, last week we averaged about 200 for breakfast and about 360 for lunch, which to me is phenomenal. So. Yeah, in one week? Uh -huh. Wow. That's average per day. That's per day. Per day. Per day. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's wow. And those numbers usually drop fairly significantly after July 4th. I don't know why. Kids just get tired and they don't come out as much when it's really hot outside. So yeah. we'll probably see um, maybe a third of that in decline after July 4th. But, um, but still, you know, we do a pretty a pretty good number until the end of summer. You have kids actually coming here on their bikes too. That's mm -hmm. yeah. We I have seen entire families come in with their children. 
um, kids on bicycles, you know, um, we try to encourage, you know, them to walk, um, you know, we just want them to come get a meal if there's a mm-hmm. need there. And we know there's a need there, you know, we just, um, we don't want kids to be hungry. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And our staff has a huge passion for it. So. I have the same staff pretty much that works every summer. They volunteer. They get paid, of course, but they volunteer to work the summer hours, and mm-hmm. they just you know have a passion for these kids. And we usually see the same kids about every day in the community, and so they get to know them. And it's just a special time. Um, for this summer, um, down in the far southwest um, region, we're uh, serving a total of 11 um, summer feeding sites. And um, so um, the summer feeding sites um, were um, selected based on need and um, some of those programs approaching us, but we're also being more um, strategical and using data to drive some of our um, collaborative partnerships and work we're doing in some of those counties where it's highest food um, insecurity and specifically food insecurity for children. So we have um, we have a site in um, Washington County um, and, um, and it's called the Abington Mustard Grounds. Um, in Abington in Washington County, the food insecurity rate for children is 16.2% for feeding. We're trying to recruit um, more sites within that region. Um, this year, of course, um, summer feeding's already started. Um, not to say that if someone uh, site had a need and they were interested, they could still contact us. But um, we're working on a strategic expansion plan for um, next summer. Um, and um, we hope to increase additional 10 sites next year um, you know uh, in those areas they're at a distance from one another so transportation vehicles um, uh, people to deliver um, the meals um, to those sites um, geographically um, we're using data to look at heat maps to look at where the concentration is for the highest food insecurity um, numbers and then look at where there might be um, an agency or an organization that would be willing to sponsor summer feeding, but also maybe an after-school program in some of those areas. And then we are, um, we've been able to get some additional resources and we're working on more resources to be able to expand most of our efforts at Feeding America Southwest Virginia. For the next three years, we'll be expanding children's feeding sites in far Southwest Virginia because we feel that there's a big gap there. We're in the process of working with a coalition of um, individuals and um, John Shoulders, who actually used to retire from us, is working with the DOE to identify additional um, areas where there can be um, more um, feeding sites for children since this grant has um is expiring and there's going to be a gap in some of these communities is that the southwest virginia coalition to address hunger for children yes it is yes it is and so they're in the process now of identifying where the greatest needs are in the gaps and 
either the school systems might be able to continue some of that work or uh, Feeding America Southwest Virginia or um, United Way or, you know, another coalition of um, programs that um, help to feed hungry children. So we're in the discovery phase of that now and determining what um, response is realistic to fill that need. Because it's going to leave a great gap, you know, for those for those children and and um, a lot of those areas don't have the resources to be able to to provide a lot so that's why we are um, want to invest and increase in our um, children's programs next year um, in those communities at least by 10 if not more sites and so the challenge I don't know if you know uh, you know a lot about the child reauthorization nutrition reauthorization which is coming up um, we're starting to work on it now it's coming up next year where all the funding flows from the federal government down through to you know uh, federal child nutrition feeding programs like um, uh, schools like um, WIC uh, um, the after school and summer meal program all the funding for those programs come through that um that funding, that appropriation. And so one of the challenges with that particular program is that you have to watch the children consume the meal. Mm-hmm. And so from my opinion, that's discriminatory toward children that live in rural communities because they don't necessarily have, you know, a Boys and Girls Club or YMC or, uh, you know, um, or a, a program opportunity where they would get a meal and other other types of services or right. tutoring or activities. So in rural communities where some of these children are scattered, we could feed more children if they eliminated that requirement and we could drop off food, say, in low-income housing areas or, you know, even some trailer parks or some communities where there is a, you know, um, population of children, we could drop that, uh, that those meals off and then we can move on to another site because these um, communities and these counties have distance between them. Sure. So, uh, you know, it's hard to get to all those um, high-need areas within a specific, within a day with those meals. Mm-hmm. So, um, and particularly if you have to watch them consume the meals which is frustrating. And I'm not going to understand why, you know, in some ways they may have, uh, you know, uh, initiated that and that um, act and, and through that appropriation. But I certainly think they should at least try to allow some demonstration projects in rural communities to see if we can feed more children by dropping off meals mm-hmm. in communities and then moving on to the next the next county or community and, and isn't another roadblock with that kind of goes hand in hand with that that um, adults don't always necessarily get to eat depending on the funding of the program um, that's true that's true so, they do not so if a so if an adult can't eat they may not want to make the drive or or however they're going to get there because they don't get to eat, only the child gets to eat. Is that something that is a challenge as well? It is, and I'm glad you brought that up um, because, yes, it is a challenge because then the whole family doesn't get fed. 
And, um, you know, so uh, what we have to do as organizations that provide, whether it's DOE or whether it's Feeding America Southwest Virginia or another organization, um, so we have to find um, um, funding or raise funds in order to feed if we want to offer that. And a lot of our programs we don't, to be honest, because we, you know, can't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, but if we wanted to offer the parents um, the meals at the same time, then we have to find additional funding to be able to do that. Or the and or the parents have to be charged. Yes. For the food. Yes, that's correct for the food. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as we know, there's still a lot of economical challenges there in, in some of these localities. We've been involved in um, a demonstration grant to address um, food insecurity, the 365 grant project okay. um, that was, um, that began under um, Governor Terry McAuliffe and we're finishing it. We just finished it in, in this past month at the end of the school year. So we, we were involved in that for three years and we're going to continue those programs. We do, um, here in, in Bristol, Virginia City, I do breakfast, lunch, dinner, fresh fruit and vegetable snack, and summer feeding. Okay. So all the programs that are available. If it's available, I do it. So we do it here in the district. So, is all of that through grant funding, or is some of that? In um, the that's all federal money. Just all federal, federal money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so as far as the the grant that's going to end this year, um, how are you going to continue the the same um, down the same path? The dinner program, which is was operated under the grant at one school for the three years, is currently being operated at other schools here in the district under the CACFP. Are you familiar with any of those terms? Mm -mm. Okay. In child nutrition or school nutrition, we have National School Lunch Program, National School Breakfast Program. These are all acronyms in National School Lunch, NSLB, um, or P. And so National School Lunch, National School Breakfast, Summer Feeding, which is the SFSP. And CACFP is Child and Adult Care Food Program. And okay. it's for at-risk schools in the evenings during the school year. Okay. So they get to eat again before they leave in schools that qualify, but they have to have a high um, free and reduced risk, uh, mm -hmm. rate, which is the at-risk component that qualifies you. And then the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program is a snack that's provided each day, and it's a federal grant that I apply for. It's tied in with lunch and breakfast and the summer feeding and the CACFP. Okay. So, at, so basically at uh, this coming school year at five schools we'll be serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Okay. And then we do summer feeding, which we're doing right now. We serve May the 28th. Um, so far we've served about 5,000 meals since May the 28th. So there's obviously a huge need. There is, but we have 20, a little over 2,300 students enrolled. So there's still a gap because we're only serving 500 meals a day. And we have 2,300 students in Bristol City. So I don't, you know, some may be picking up meals in a different location, you know, Tennessee side, county, wherever. 
um, but that's still a lot of students that aren't eating. So, so there is still a gap. Are you talking specifically summer or is this during the year summer? Round? During the summer. No, we have great participation year round. We have um, schools that are participating. We have five, and hopefully, all of them. I have six schools all together: mm -hmm. four elementary, middle, and high. Um, We've been operating under the Community Eligibility Program, which is CEP, for the last four years. And all the schools except Virginia High uh, receive a breakfast and a lunch during the whole school year at no cost to the parents. I'm adding Virginia High to that program where no one in this district, no child, if if our Department of Education approves it. Um, next year, no child parents will have to pay for breakfast or lunch in this whole school district. It'll be provided at no cost under that community eligibility provision. Okay. So that's a really uh, good thing where, again, I'm, I'm still waiting on the Department of Education to approve it, but I don't see any reason that it won't be. So that's just come about in the last, well, four or five years. So that's not based on income at all, it would just be... It is. it is. It's based on how many students in each building are signed up for benefits like SNAP, mm -hmm. um, Medicaid, mm -hmm. uh, foster homeless, all those things they're called, uh, the terminology in use in school nutrition is direct certification. Basically, somebody else has checked income in another uh, department like social services and they give us the list and we don't have to redo it again so everybody on the list as long as we can match them up to the information we have make sure it's the right kid birth date and all that mm -hmm. they automatically qualify for um, free meals so under the community eligibility provision if there's enough students in each building that are on those programs it qualifies the whole building to eat okay so um, say 60% and then we have a divider times 1.6, that's the federal formula. So that gives, that, that makes it feasible to feed all students at no cost. So we've, we've done that in five buildings out of six for four years and we're getting ready to add the sixth building. So that's a lot of money saved by parents that they don't have to spend on meals each year. They can spend on something else, gas, groceries, whatever. Sure. Um, how much is the cost of each meal right now in the schools? The cost of a meal runs us close to, uh, it's a, it's around $3.75, but we receive $3.92 from the government for sure. that meal. Mm -hmm. So that covers the cost of all our labor, the benefits my employees receive, the cost of the food, the equipment, the operation, it covers uh, the, the reimbursements, the mm -hmm. money received for those meals that mm -hmm. nobody pays for. The government gives us that money and it covers all the costs so that we operate in the black. Mm -hmm. so, so our school system doesn't have to give our my department any money to operate out here. Sure. We don't receive any from the city, mm -hmm. any from the school system. It's all federal money. The first year that we operated with the five schools, it took $110,000 cash out that got replaced by federal money. $110,000 cash from parents a year. 
but that was four years ago. We're adding another school, so it's going to be up to probably $125,000 a year that the parents in this school district will not be paying for food next school year. This next school for year. all six schools, mm-hmm. $125,000 that they can spend on something else. So it's a pretty big deal. So as far as the summer, that's yep. obviously more of a struggle. It is for kids and families. It's well, well, the kids are not at school. Mm-hmm. Um, parents don't have transportation. Um, even sometimes it's it, even though the meals are provided at the sites on that list, sometimes they they're not able to get them there. So there's still a gap in, in uh, for the students to eat. So we we. Um, we're going to try to partner. We should be partnering with, um, if they get their grant, Feeding America, we're going to partner together and work on some kind of mobile food truck um, in, the, in the areas that people aren't able to bring their students. Okay. To the, you know, can't get to a building, a school building, or the library, or wherever. So. When are you looking at? starting that? Possibly next summer, summer 2020. That's if they receive the grant. Feeding America would have to receive the grant. They've applied and we're we're working in partnership with them to try to help them get that grant. And hope there may be some other things um, that will happen with that grant too that will help some of our students and our families. But again, that grant hasn't been awarded yet, and uh, we're hoping that, that Feeding America will get it. Feeding America Southwest, where this grant is ending, mm-hmm. we're, um, we are ending uh, the, the grant, but we're, we've formed a coalition to try to keep the t- that type of program going without that specific funding. So we, I mean, we just got multiple meals, but they're still, students still fall through the cracks, obviously. Because they've got to, you know, they've got to get to the sites and they can't always get to the sites. So we're feeding all our summer schools that are operating. That's the four school sites. And of course, uh, I think the Boys and Girls Club and the Girls Inc., their enrollment must be down a little bit this year because we're not feeding as many meals as we did last year. We've done this for a few years with them, and the library um, hasn't really geared up. They all just started this past week, so I mm-hmm. figure by the end of the month there'll be much. It'll be more than the 5,000 meals. It'll be yeah. more than that average per day. So students are still falling through the cracks, but you feel like all the agencies and all the the everybody the involved that is trying yeah. as hard as they can to. Yeah, yeah, we're we're always um, trying new ideas in different ways and uh, how can we reach more students um, and, and we're always you know just always uh, trying to, to get more kids involved in the meals so so what kind of meals are provided um, the meals that I provide are the same uh, amount of food that you would get in school the lunch is the same thing it's the same pizza the same green beans the same fresh fruit the same milk you know those sorts of things it's the same meals that we provide over the school year maybe a little less choices there won't be three fruits mm-hmm. uh, during lunch they have three fruits they can choose from mm-hmm. during the summer we just do one because we don't have as many people working 
and uh, we don't have the volume that we would have right when they're in the billion in the buildings every day so but it's the same meals same meal pattern we call it meal pattern mm -hmm. as uh, lunch and breakfast all the so, different food groups and one yeah meal. yeah yeah same thing that we follow under national school lunch okay so good nutritious meals but filling and uh, in my district here, we provide more than the minimum. There's a minimum, but we always provide more than the minimum. On the Record is made possible by David McKee, David Krieger, Delina Matthews, and Brian Woodson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.